Oh, yeah. This is the Take It or Leave It podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Nick Farrington. I'm Ethan Wise. Yeah. I'll plug this in at the beginning. I, nah, I think you should no? leave it. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're two minutes, three minutes into the podcast. I think this is perfect. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. feels natural. It feels yeah. organic. Yeah. <laughs> Certified. It feels non GMO'd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't Messed know where I flow. was. <laughs> you were talking about, um, what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Leaf litter. Oh, thank and you. Insects. Oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And oh, the stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. And people don't often go into the forest and say, wow, this soil sucks. True. But in town, right. it often does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely something to keep in mind. talk about fall garden prep and how fall garden prep can influence or impact beneficial insects in a negative way and how to avoid it. I don't really like to talk about that kind of stuff. No. Okay. I feel like this is all. So we just make this a 37 second. Every episode episode we have done has just been you forcing me into this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was just doing a little bit just, I know as far as the leaf litter and, and all that and what we're going to talk about, there's plenty of things that I was, I knew for sure that didn't have to do any research on as far as, you know, isopods or roly polies or pill bugs. Um, yeah. Pill or bugs, roly polies, wood lice, all those kind of synonym right. names for them and springtails. Although springtails kind of get more into the soil, but they could probably mm-hmm. still benefit from the protection of the leaf litter and worms and slugs and all that sort of stuff that can, millipedes and snails mm-hmm. yeah but i knew that there were other things and i just wanted to kind of double check and make sure i i knew that there were caterpillars and even bees and wasps that can benefit from leaf litter but i just didn't know which kind off the top of my head so i should say not just specific to leaf litter but what we wanted this episode to essentially cover was kind of an offshoot of our preparing for fall episode. We wanted to get a little more in depth as far as not only what to do or not to do to kind of prepare your outdoor space for fall, but how that could negatively impact some of these beneficial insects. Oh yeah. This is the take it or leave it podcast. Oh yeah. I'm Nick Farrington. I'm Ethan Wise. Yeah. I'll plug this in at the beginning. I, nah, I think you should no? leave it. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're two minutes, three minutes into the podcast. I think this is perfect. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. feels natural. It feels yeah. organic. Yeah. <laughs> Certified. It feels non-GMO'd. Yeah. 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 So. I'm sorry. I totally interrupted you. <laughs> I don't Messed know where I flow. was. <laughs> you were talking about um, what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Leaf litter. Oh, thank you. Insects. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) And stuff. Yeah. Oh, the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So it is really common for come fall, unlike in Europe where they call it autumn, here in the United States, we call it fall because leaf fall down. Uh, When... (laughs) (laughs) 
leaf fall down. Yeah. <laughs> so, as the, so they, they Neanderthal. <laughs> as they age, they kind of regress and go into this sort of Neanderthal state. Yeah. Yeah. They fall down with clubs. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. No wonder I relate to leaf litter so much. <laughs> Big man boom. <laughs> okay. Getting back to the topic. <laughs> it's really common at this time of year. Once everything starts to go dormant, your trees, your shrubs, and so on, to go through and blow all those leaves into a pile and put them at the curb and have the city take them away or put them in bags, whatever uh, bag them or mow them with the mower and mulch them all up or cut back your perennials in particular. That's going to die back to the ground Mm -hmm. in fall and winter. But really there's kind of a complication there because like, yes, you know, people want their yards to look totally neat and tidy but what's actually happening as well is that a lot of these beneficial insects and that could be things that break down fallen leaves and decomposers yeah like the isopods or the roly-polies or pill bugs as they're referred to and some of those others that you mentioned millipedes and things like that not only those but Other beneficial pollinators like different types of native bees, they will have their larvae established often in the dried, hollowed out stems of perennials and shrubs, moths and butterflies. Even their larvae as it cocoons will kind of disguise itself as leaf litter Mm -hmm. amongst the leaf litter. Or praying mantis establishing their eggs on uh, some twigs. The ulip. What's the... Is it a, a type of Uthica? Uthica. Thank okay. you. Yeah, the egg mm-hmm. sac of the, of the praying mantids. So all of those things can be present in that leaf litter. And when you blow it all into a pile and throw it in the trash or mulch it with the mower or burn it in a burn pile or whatever, you're really, really impacting those populations. And so what we tend to recommend and what we're going to talk about today is kind of holding back on some of that if you can i mean if you're in a neighborhood that really cracks down on tidiness of yards and yeah you know that might be a different story and maybe you can get away with it in your backyard kind of leaving things until spring but that's that's really the key is trying to leave some of that stuff until it starts to warm up in spring to give these beneficial insects a chance essentially because when we pull that really important nutrient source not only for the insects, but those leaves that the insects break down turn into nutrients in the soil and mm-hmm. adding to the soil and adding that organic matter to be available for your plants. On top of it being an insulator for your plants, mm-hmm. like not only is the leaf litter beneficial to any of the isopods or millipedes or ants or other insects that are in the soil, as a food source as well as a protection source for them it is also great for insulating the plants as well it acts Mm -hmm. as a nice barrier around the roots because you'll you'll blow your leaves to kind of clean up the grass but you'll blow them into the perennial bed that's something i learned from my mom Mm -hmm. my mom used to always rake the leaves in and around especially her hostas 
and other things in the fall period and some of her tender perennials. I know hostas aren't necessarily uh, tender perennials, but nonetheless, she would kind of always tuck them in and protect them and it insulated them really well and they'd always come back very, very strong. It's also great for other plants. If you have a tender plant like maybe a rose, if you're in a cold climate or a macrophylla hydrangea, where not necessarily the best in cold climates, you can really pack those leaves in around the base of it to help insulate those roots. In fact, I've even seen it to such an extreme, depending on how cold of a climate you live in, where people will put essentially like a like a little uh, chicken wire cage, a chicken wire cage mm-hmm. around like a rose. I always recommend that for a rose. Pack in the leaves in that cage around the rose mm-hmm. to really insulate it. I think it's much better than putting a bucket around. I've heard people talk about putting like those or those styrofoam styrofoam covers. buckets or a five gallon bucket with like a couple holes or something drilled in and put that over to cut back branches. The styrofoam just picks up heat and acts as an insulator. And then that rose is warm all winter. doesn't get a proper dormancy. Exactly. And, or it can, if you have a warm fall, warm winter, after you put that on there, then it can just breed a fungus. Now it's just a a harboring station for other pathogens, yeah. whether it's insects, negative insects, or non-beneficial insects. Because it's, um, it's not a breathable material at all. Right. And or an incubating chamber for certain types of fungal infections. Since you might be prolonging the activity of that fungus, especially if it was already there, you're prolonging the activity on there going into the season, furthering the damage to the plant. All kinds of issues can come from that. It's not something I recommend. And you're also covering a significant an area of the root zone and so that's not going to get direct water either right through winter oh gosh yeah i think that's always something that i think people are never properly educated on as far as how much water you need to be giving your plant especially a new plant going into fall Mm -hmm. like here in the midwest i tell people water until the ground's going to freeze. And that's hard, I think, sometimes to to grasp when does the ground freeze. But if you could still very easily put a shovel into the ground and it's November, mm-hmm. you could still water that plant once a week or so, especially if it's a new plant that you planted maybe in June or something of that year. Now, if you're going to go out and water your plants while they're dormant and say like, I don't know, end of November or something, because this week is nice and warm. The ground's not frozen yet, but you know the whole next week is going to be like negative 14 degrees. Maybe hold off. Sure. But yeah, a lot of people don't think of that, especially I know up in central Illinois the last few years, the amount of snow that we get over winter has been pretty minimal and pretty hit or miss. Could go long, you know, a month stretch with no snow. And that means your plants are not getting any water. So if the ground, like you said, isn't frozen and we're not getting snow, that's just the same as going a month without rain. Now, would you need to water every week? Probably not because it's so cold that that moisture is really going to stay present in the soil. So maybe we're talking every other week or maybe just once a month to give those plants some extra added moisture that they're not getting from the weather. But it is something that really gets overlooked. Oh, yeah. Hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. 
You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon. N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, back on track to the leaf litter, though. Essentially, what we were getting at was keeping the leaf litter in certain parts of your yard. And as long as your neighborhood is okay with that to a degree, I know the city where I live in, they can be kind of sticklers about it. And obviously the people who are driving around in their car monitoring how much leaf litter you might have in your yard, none of them are horticulturists or entomologists or so they're, they're They're HOA Nazis. Oh my gosh. So very frustrating when they're telling you to do something that they don't really have a full understanding of anyway, but I have two giant oak trees, one in my front yard, one in my backyard, which is great because it insulates all the leaves drop and I do mow them when they're in my, luckily I don't really have to blow where I live now currently leaves into my garden spaces because these oaks are massive and fully their canopy fully encompasses essentially all of the garden space in my front and backyard. But if they land in my garden beds, I leave them there. Mm-hmm. And if they land in my yard, I'll mow over them. Now, keeping in mind that consistently mowing leaf litter in your yard, especially if you have a really thick, full turf, could over time add to the thatch layer, thatch being an accumulation of organic matter. That lower level of the grass blades right. right above the soil. But for me, I've never had that issue. And so I just mow over the leaves and that further breaks down that dried leaf, making that available nutrients easier to break down and available into the soil. I mean, leaf litter is free carbon for your soil. And the more carbon content you have in your soil, usually that translates to a better microbial life in your soil. On the top better- of the nutrient availability that's going to be released again. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the better the carbon layer, the better microbial life, the better microbial life, the more availability of nutrients because they can better break down that stuff, making things available for the root system. It's to essentially pick up. free fertilizer. Absolutely. That if you're just blowing all that away and throwing it to the curb to get tossed, you're not getting that added nutrients. You're not adding to the soil that's available in the yard to increase that soil layer. You go to a forested area, no one's raking that area. Mm -hmm. When you go into a nice kind of discrete forested area where there might be some nature paths in, those leaves stay there. They don't go anywhere. They get blown off of the trail, but they stay in the forested area and just add to the soil. They become the soil mm-hmm. for that plant to... And people don't often go into the forest and say, wow, this soil sucks. True. But in town, right. it often does. Yeah, 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 definitely something to keep in mind. So yeah, anyway, as far as leaf litter goes, it's totally safe on, for many of your plants to just be raked into your garden beds to better insulate your plants. And if you don't care about the bugs and the insect life, the microbial life of your soil, if anything it can certainly help insulate your plants. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely benefits there. 
Anything else you wanted to add as far as bringing in leaf litter in particular into your garden space and utilizing it? Now, something I will add, here's a story from, gosh, super long time ago when I was a little kid. One of my great aunts and uncles at their place up in northern Illinois, they had a big outdoor garden space, you know, veggie garden. And what they would often do at the end of the season is they would rake or blow their excess leaves onto their garden plot. Well, a lot of their leaf litter was all from oak trees and oak leaves and several other hardwood tree varieties in general can have a higher acidity. Mm -hmm. And they were doing this year after year and they noticed over time that their veggies in their garden were really kind of declining in general health and fruit production every year. You know, they would plant tomatoes and weren't really getting much off of them. And me being super into plants and bugs and nerd, nerd, yeah, um, you know, being a child with six or eight of the Audubon Society books on various bugs and critters when I should have been like watching cartoons. (laughs) I think back then I said, hey, have you done a soil test (laughs) because how old were you when you were asking adults if they've done a soil test i don't know maybe like 10 or 12 dude yeah you gotta get out more man yeah i think by that age i had a full soil test kids (laughs) (laughs) i would do soil tests for people and not just like basic ph like nutrient levels all sorts of stuff But I had said, hey, maybe check that pH. Don't put the oak leaves on the garden. I might have suggested something like some type of lime to bring that pH back up to kind of balance it out. And sure enough, they took those steps and within a season or two, huge improvement in the garden space. So that is something to keep an eye on if you do have some of those hardwood varieties, oaks and hickories and things like that come to mind as far as increasing the soil acidity. Well, we Um, just talked about that, too, in my little backyard garden space as mm -hmm. my hydrangea in there is blooming now and I've never done anything to the soil and it's coming up bluish purple. Right. Like a deep bluish purple color, which is usually only possible with macrophylla hydrangeas if the soil is acidic enough. Yeah. And it's just like you had said, oh, pin oak leaves probably over many, many years is just highly acidified that area. They were so purple. I go, did you, because you said you didn't do anything with them. I go, did you put a soil acidifier on them? And you said, nope. Sometimes I, in the middle of the plant, I'll drop the dog poop. I pick up the dog poop in the backyard and then I'll take it and I'll just drop it right in the middle of the plant and call that cleaned up. (laughs) Well, it's no longer a bomb in the middle of the yard. I don't walk through the middle of my hydrangea. You can have some poop. So So, maybe um, my dog's poop is acidic. Maybe we wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) He gets, he eats a good diet. He's good. He's not, he's no kibbles and bits kind of dog here. (laughs) So, and not just that as far as soil acidity, and maybe you live in an area you know your soil tends to be more alkaline, and that's an issue you already know you have. Maybe you're adding a fertilizer, an organic fertilizer, say, to your veggies every year to kind of bump that acidity up a little bit. You know, in that case, it's probably a little more flexible, but again, it can over a long time as those leaves break down year over year, slowly increase or sorry, slowly decrease, make the soil more acidic in that area. Another thing to keep an eye on, 
and this would be a good idea for another little snippet of an episode, is that certain trees can contain a chemical called juglone. Walnut. Walnuts. Which is juglins. That's the genus. Right. Walnuts, hickories. I think those are the two big ones. And certain landscape plants and veggies and herbs, things in those categories, can experience decline from, they have essentially have susceptibility to juglone toxicity. And we can get into this a little more at a later date and have resources there. But juglone... Be cautious if using that leaf litter. Right. So if you have, say, a black walnut in your yard or a hickory in your yard or something in that category that has juglone present... You definitely want to avoid using that in your landscapes and in your garden space because there are a huge category of plants that can have negative effects from that. If you've been using walnut or hickory leaf litter in your gardens and you notice that certain plants you plant and you take totally perfect care of them, yet they always decline and die, it could be because they are susceptible to juglone toxicity. Something Which can be not a lot of people know of. of. Not just the tree leaves, but all the, parts of the plant. all parts of the the fruit or the nut of the plant, the roots of the plant. Mm-hmm. So, but there are, and you can always look that up yourself. Juglone toxicity resistance or something. There is a massive list of plants that are not affected by it. Yeah. Also, a massive list, like you said, of plants that are affected. A lot of native plants in your area. If walnut is a native or naturally occurring tree in your environment, then likely a lot of the native plants are also tend to be okay, but Mm -hmm. always best to check where you live and make sure that what you're planting is on the list of juglone resistant plants. Mm -hmm. Several universities have resources on that. Mm -hmm. I know Penn State has a bunch. Michigan State University has a bunch. I'm sure Missouri Botanic Garden. Absolutely. Chicago Botanic Garden all have resources on that. University of Illinois, yeah. All of those will have a nice list of of plants and and it might be very different depending on what state you live in. Yes. So find a source, usually a school, a a collegiate source. Or an extension office. Sorry, thanks. That's the word I was looking for, an extension Mm -hmm. office in your state that will list plants that you will be more likely to interact with that are resistant to juglone and or have issues with juglone toxicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point of bringing that in as far as And that can even impact not... trees that you're planting. Oh, absolutely, especially if they're younger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, definitely good point of bringing out like not all leaves may be the best leaves to utilize in your garden space as far as for the insects and or for the plant health. Right. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about as far as things you can put in your garden space in fall and overwinter is pumpkins. Mm, yeah, we're getting into spooky season. Spooky season. This is another spooky season episode. Uh, uh, didn't work out. Yeah. Nope. I'm going to keep it, though. Okay. Yeah, that yep. was my spooky ghost. <sighs> ah, that squirrel. Anyway. So pumpkins, this is one of my favorite things to encourage people to use after you've gotten your fill of the pumpkin, whether you use it just for decoration because it's a pretty pumpkin or you jack-o'-lanterned it or whatever. And I've brought it up on several, I'm, hell, I've, I've said this on the news um, to people at mm-hmm. garden centers, like this is something you should do. Was this one you touched on on Green Thumb on your radio show? Yeah, definitely talked about it for the couple seasons we did there on the radio program, but I... 
I really like doing this. And if you don't want a lot of potential volunteer pumpkins that'll grow in these spots, you can always scoop out the seeds. But essentially, once your pumpkin starts to decompose and or you've gotten the use out of it that you wanted to, you don't want it on your porch anymore or whatever, break it up into pieces. And this is always fun. You can just throw it up in the air and let it smash on the ground and break into a number of pieces and then scoop that up and disperse that in your garden beds. And not only will that also help with insulating, especially if you incorporate leaf litter as well, it can also kind of help hold that leaf litter down. And no, it's not necessarily the most attractive thing that you can do in your garden. I understand if you have a really nice and tidy front yard, you might not want to do that. I get that. But if you have other kind of hidden spots of your yard or ones that aren't as visible, works great. Or you could just not care like I do and throw them in your garden beds anyway. But as that pumpkin breaks down, not only is it a food source, another food source for other critters, you know, you might have squirrels or chipmunks or rabbits that might still nibble on that. Birds might collect the seeds as well. But it's also a great food source for the bug life that is in your garden beds. But as that pumpkin breaks down over winter and gets kind of mushified and then absorbed into the soil come spring, it's going to add in all kinds of nutrients, so many nutrients phosphorus and potassium and all kinds of micronutrients it's free fertilizer if you've already bought the pumpkin might as well get the most out of it by throwing it in your garden beds and i did this one year when i lived in illinois the first winter that we lived in that house i had not my first time doing this sort of thing but we had previously moved from an apartment so i didn't really have a reason to save the pumpkins nor did we really use them at the apartment so once we moved into this house in central Illinois. I had broken up some of the pumpkins that were starting to decline. And there was this part of the front yard, there was this big, huge, gnarly Japanese maple. And there was these hostas that were planted there. And they were kind of spindly looking. And I never really did anything with them. They were just kind of there. And I threw, after that hosta had died back and the pumpkin was decomposing, I threw this pumpkin litter all over the top of where that hosta was. And the next season, as this hosta is starting to emerge, it just gets huge. And all season that we were there, their first year there, it was a pretty weak looking hosta. And the next season, it came back three times the size, rich, full, thick leaves, a darker green color. And my next door neighbor addressed it with me one time. We would always kind of shoot the breeze. He and his wife were big into gardening, so... They loved having me next door once they found out that I was a horticulturist and I worked at a garden center. We were always talking about plants and he always had questions. And he says, hey, did you put a new hosta in that corner spot right there? Because this part of the yard faced his yard. And I was like, no, I haven't done any plantings there. He's like, huh. He's like, so that's the same hosta? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same hosta. He's like, because I planted that one there many years ago because his son used to live in that house. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two or three people before, cause it was a rental property sure. um, before I lived there. And he's like, that hosta has never looked that good before ever. He was like, what did you do? And I told him about putting the pumpkins over there and he was like, Oh my gosh. So all I have to do is just break it up and spread it in my gardens. I was like, yup. And he was like, sold, done doing it. And he started doing that. That was, he started breaking up pumpkins in his yard and incorporating them. And he was very happy with the results as well, especially in his backyard perennial beds. He was fascinated by the return that he got from just simply putting these pumpkins there. 
So anyway, that's my tale of success is like it really does work as a fertilizer in your yard as well as being great for the critters over winter as well. Yeah. So use your pumpkins, spread them in your yard. And the fun thing for me, it was fun. And I, that's why I brought up the seeds is the seeds did end up. Uh, some of the seeds did end up germinating in spring. And then I had this really cool pumpkin vine growing up my Japanese maple and producing pumpkins hanging in the tree which I thought was wicked cool. And that tree was so scraggly and sparse because it was slowly dying that it probably made the tree look more full. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, that's an interesting Japanese maple. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was south side of the house, this Japanese maple. And, you know, for being south facing, it looked pretty good, but it had also serious sun scald from all the splitting bark from being on the south side of the house and yeah. never being productive. But yeah, so pumpkins, throw those in your yard, can fertilize your yard with a pumpkin as well. If you really want to have fun, throw the broken pieces in your yard and hit them with the lawnmower and further disperse that pumpkin. That's free fertilizer in your yard. Spray the underside of your mower, though, because you don't want all those rotting pumpkin bits underneath your mower before you store it over winter. But certainly something you can do is like a fun little last thing in your yard is mow mm -hmm. over the pumpkin and disperse it in your yard. So anyway, that's all I have to say on the topic of leaf litter, pumpkins, beneficial insects, insulating your plants. Yeah. And I think this episode kind of really bounces off of that pre-fall prep episode we did a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to continue that a little bit next week as well, but more geared towards houseplants. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of loosely a series on fall-related topics since it really is that time of year. And we, I know especially on some of the social media groups that are gardening and plant-related that we both are involved with, it really has been coming up a lot very regularly on those people asking kind of those fall season related questions. So we wanted to hit a few of the main ones that we've seen popping up mm -hmm. a lot because if, you know, Facebook groups with millions of people are having these constantly coming up, it's something that obviously a lot of people are interested in, have questions about. So that's why we're kind of covering whether it be in that past episode of how to treat your houseplants when you're going to bring them in for winter so that you don't get pests to this episode of fall taking care of the yard and why it's definitely beneficial to leave a lot of that cleanup until spring if you can to benefit some of those not only the nutrient availability to the plants but the critters that also are present in your yard and in the soil that help with that breakdown it's all an interlaced ecosystem that you to have that healthy environment you don't want to take that element out if you can to then next week with houseplants so that's why we're hitting some of these topics. Right. Yeah. And, you know, pruning was one of the things that we could have gone more in depth with. But it's hard knowing that people from other countries and other climate zones or hardiness zones are also listening. And it can be a little plant specific. And right, right, so that right. can be a little tough. Although for the most part, I guess, since we are talking about that and, and next episode, we're going to really kind of delve into the houseplants going over this. But as far as pruning goes usually shrubs more often than not i recommend pruning in early spring so if that's something that's on your mind true perennials are going to die back to the ground naturally anyway but more often than not a lot of the shrubs 
can wait to be pruned as long as they are not going to be spring blooming shrubs. You yeah, know, if you prune your azalea in spring, you're not going to get flowers. You prune your wygela in fall or spring, you're not going to get flowers. So you really need to know the bloom time. That's the other thing too. Is it's tough. You really, it's hard. There's really not a good generalization for when to prune shrubs because yeah, like you said, if you if you prune your forsythia or your lilac, for example, any time other than right after they've bloomed, you're pruning off azaleas, forsythia, dutzia, wygela, all those things that are mm-hmm. primarily spring blooming. If you're going to prune them, it needs to be after they flowered. Because shortly after they flower, they start to set buds, flower buds, for the next year. So if you prune outside of that window, you're pruning off next year's flower buds. So, And also, say, take a boxwood. A boxwood or a yew, some of those evergreen-type plants, a lot of people see that spring, early summer growth, that kind of lighter green new Mm -hmm. growth, And yes, it can look a little scraggly, especially on a U, but if you go and prune off that growth before it's hardened off a boxwood, I mean, it could be into July before that new growth hardens off and turns that deep green like the rest of the plant. If you go and shear that off, the plant's like, hey, I just lost that new growth. I need to push again. And I guess where my brain was when I said this was not just like maintenance pruning, but also like if you had to do like serious pruning, Mm, you know, like like hard pruning. If you had to do like... Wait, I like to wait until spring. Usually, like if I need to cut like a panicle hydrangea or I need to cut a a rose or I'm cutting back my ornamental grasses because I didn't do it in fall. I just find early spring to be a better time of year to do that. But that's also coming from my experience living in zone five and zone Mm -hmm. six climate zones. So that's why we're kind of phasing over that. It's hard to do a full episode and to give really in-depth questions that however if you have any questions as a listener as to when is the best time to prune any of your plants especially if you live in the midwest and you're dealing with any plants from zone three to zone seven Mm -hmm. please feel free to message us send us pictures and that's a big area of the of the united states that's covered by those zones so right really it'd be applicable to multiple areas send us pictures ask us your questions we will be more than happy to give you in-depth information as to when the best time to do routine pruning is on that plant and when is the best time to do any sort of serious you know manipulation pruning as far as you've got to cut back serious on this side or you got to do this lilac hasn't been touched in 10 years and it's 14 feet tall and all woody and gnarly how can i rejuvenate it and get it to bloom better again easier for us to answer those questions if you just message us directly yeah so definitely and a little bit of a teaser for our next episode of someone we were talking to who said, oh, I just, you know, I don't want to bug you guys with your plant questions. And we're like, no, please, please do. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. We're here. A huge part of our mission with this show is to, to answer your plant questions and to help educate people about plants and horticulture. So the more of those, questions, those we get, questions, the more it helps us gauge what it is that people want from this, too. Right. So ask us your questions. Engage with our posts. Thank you. Follow us. Love that. Listen even better. But ask us questions. Yeah. Feel free to either if you don't want it to be public on our Facebook page, you can email us at info at uh, nope. 
show at take it or leave. There we go. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> that was like info at <laughs> so nope. yeah. Email us at show at take it or leave at pod.com. Private message us on Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And send us a picture and we'll work with you on that plant. Yep. I think that about wraps us up for the fall yard garden care as far as leaves and cleanups go. Uh you have anything else to add? No. Alrighty. Well, that takes care of this episode. Again, this is the Take It or Leave It podcast, and I am Nick Farrington. I'm Ethan Wise. And we'll talk to you guys on next week's episode. Toodles. Bye.